Hey everyone, we hope you're having a great week. My name is Eric Johnson, and along with my wife Candace, we are the lead pastors of Studio. We are based in Greenville, South Carolina, and we just want to take a moment and say hello and say thanks for listening to this podcast. So with that, let's get right to it. One more thing I wanted to bring to our attention have to do with just Studio, our heart here. Obviously, we're a church. That's pretty evident. It's pretty obvious. This has been pretty fun for us for the last now six months, and in some ways nine months when we kind of hit the ground and starting to build what we call now studio. <clears throat> and we haven't talked about it in a while, but I wanted to remind us that what we're doing here is a part of a bigger vision. And I'm, I'm going to share something with you, and really my heart is to, is to get you to pray, to pray into something that is is happening kind of behind the scenes, <clears throat> and it's, uh, it's actually very exciting, and it's, it's very fun. But studio, um, the whole idea behind studio, it's a place where God and people meet, and it's a place where we want to see faith, creativity, business, entrepreneurship, and community advocacy intersect. It's a space where you can't tell where faith begins or ends. It's a space where you can't tell where creativity begins or ends. It's a space where you can't see community advocacy begin or end. I believe we as humans, we are at our best when we're seamless. When we're compartmentalized, I don't believe we're at our best. And I believe when we're seamless in our life, we are at our best. So we envision this idea that studio is obviously a church where there's spiritual community. We're just being discipled by Jesus. We're, we're going after God together, and we're, we're introducing people to Jesus. So that whole thing that we just call church, that, that is very real. And that was like the first step we wanted to take because it's from that place of a deep community that all these other things take on expression, and we're very excited about that. We are actively looking for buildings and properties. We have from the moment we first visited the city uh, two, almost two years ago, year and a half, almost two years ago. And a lot of my friends that are church planters or, or in a church context, they say the best thing to do is just keep knocking on every door. So just so you know, for almost two years, we've been knocking on doors and just talking to people and dreaming. And, and there's people that are actually all over the world that are really getting behind us in really practical ways that are so far ahead of us and how to find the right pieces of property and building to fulfill what's in our heart. I want to just tell you guys that, in fact, if this is all new to you, you've not heard this, then I would encourage you that foundations course that we even just mentioned a moment ago, we go over our culture, our value, and our DNAs and what we're dreaming about. And so church is really a part of a much larger vision, and we believe church is an essential, integral, super important part of it. But we're actually, we're actually knocking on some doors right now, and they're long shots. I'll tell you what, we talked about, Stephen just shared, walking out on a limb. Well, we just jumped off the cliff, and so we don't know what will happen. And so I just want to say, could you be praying into this? Just pray that the right property comes. We feel like it's going to come quicker than normal. And everything that's happened so far with studio had been way ahead of a normal schedule. And we know that that's the Lord's in that, and we're excited about that. But if you're in this room and you're, you've been coming, you've been a part of this, or you're just visiting, like, what can I do? 
This is my answer to that question. Pray for properties and buildings. And we know the Lord's on this thing. It's so evident. It's strong. When you have people from all over the world saying, hey, I see this, or I, I thought about this. Have you guys thought about this? And it's like, we wrote that down two years ago. And so, yes. And so be praying into that as we knock on doors and we're just kind of trying to peek behind some curtains and say, hey, we want that piece of property right there. We want that building right there. And so if you could just be praying about that, because that's something that we're leaning into. So how many will just add that to your attention and leaning into prayer? And if they, as things develop, we're obviously going to keep you. We're not going to be like, surprise. No, we're going we're gonna to give you an update. But there's nothing really concrete yet that I can give you an update other than we've been knocking on doors, and uh, we're excited to see if any of them open. Okay? So just be praying into that. That sound good? Okay, good. Uh, that would mean the world because we're excited about that. And we feel like uh, one of the things that I felt the Lord told me when we moved here, I'm going to make up for lost time. And very personal for me. And, and I would say what's happened in nine months, six months for Sunday gathering is definitely faster and more than we kind of anticipated. And so it just feels like the Lord's on this thing. And it's just, uh, honestly, it's just exciting to see what's unfolding. So. Thank you for joining with us on that. <clears throat> what do Steph Curry, <clears throat> Netflix, cryptocurrency, and the Gutenberg printing press have in common? Humanity was not ready for any of them. <laughs> Steph Curry, they're the scouting report, they, which is basically scout pull up they watch players that are going to enter the NBA draft, and they write a report, kind of a summary about this player. And this is what they wrote about Steph Curry before he was drafted in the NBA. He's not a true point guard. He's out of control at times. His shot selection is questionable. He does, we don't think he has the ability to play defense in the NBA. He's a backup, maybe a fringe starter. He's average athlete, average size, average wingspan, frail frame. My favorite one, relies too heavily on the outside shot. <laughs> if you don't know who Steph Curry is, you should go watch some YouTube and you'll learn quickly that they were wrong, completely wrong. Netflix. Netflix says their only competition is sleep. <laughs> Cryptocurrency. Completely, completely disrupting a financial institution that's been in place for centuries. Gutenberg Printing Press. Their religious institution was not ready for what their Gutenberg Printing Press was going to do. Prior to that printing press, literature could not be mass-produced. And the first piece of literature that was mass-produced by this printing press was the Bible, written in German, which is a big deal because in that area of the world, there was nothing written for the lay people, for people that weren't highly educated or the religious elite. So the interpretation of Scripture was limited to a very small group of people. So as they interpreted the scriptures through their lens, through their worldview, they would communicate that out to the churches of that day. So when the printing press came out 
and the Bible was translated into the common language, and in that case, German, and was mass-produced. All of a sudden, every man, every woman that could read, which fascinating, the Gutenberg printing press created a middle class in a world that only had a lower class and an upper class. Because the literacy rate, there was nothing, there was no point in reading until the printing press came about. Came about. So the printing press actually created a middle class, but its first piece of literature was the Bible. And when the Bible was printed, all of a sudden men and women across the world in that era, in that place, could read the scripture and begin to have a relationship with God through the scripture, not just through whoever understood it at the top of the food chain. So each of these things disrupted culture. The humanity was not ready for any of these things. There's something powerful about recognizing you live in a culture, but the greater question is what culture lives in you? In this room, on there's four posts in this room that have a thermostat on them. On that thermostat, it tells us the temperature of the room, but it also has the ability to set the temperature of the room. What's fascinating about today, in today's age, we have 24-7 access to people that get paid to tell you the temperature of the world today. They get to tell you how bad things are. They get paid lots of money, ridiculous amount of money to tell you the world is falling apart. Now, I don't think anybody has to get paid to recognize there's a lot of issues in the world today. But yet we, we listen 24-7 of someone telling us it's 71 degrees. It's 71 degrees. Can you believe it's 71 degrees? I told you it was 71 degrees. In fact, it was 71 yesterday, and it's 71 forever. And we're all like, yeah, man, this world's just falling apart, just falling apart. And that's the culture we live in. We pay and we listen to people that tell us what's wrong with everything. The question, it's amazing how much of our conversations are around what's going on in the world and the cultures that we live within when most of our conversations should actually be focused on what's the culture inside you. Because the culture inside you ultimately creates the culture outside of you. I love studying culture. I love studying modern culture, I love studying pop culture, I love studying culture than other nations and other people groups, because culture is a peek into the human soul. The human soul produces culture. And if you don't like the culture that you live in, then guess what, you need to take a look inside. Because once you change the content, the material of the culture inside you, then guess what, the culture outside of you begins to look like the culture within you. And we have a lot of people just wanting to let everybody know it's 71 degrees. It's 71 degrees. But every once in a while, there's a person or an idea that comes along and disrupts the world that you and I live in. You have a small six foot three man named Steph Curry comes along, completely disrupt the game of basketball completely annihilates the way the game is played, completely changes the way defenses are played because he had an idea. I'm going to change this game. I'm not tall, I'm not big, but I'm going to destroy teams and the morale by shooting long distance shots. And in doing that, he has completely changed the game. More than LeBron, more than Kobe, more than most of those guys. The only other guy in the modern era would be Michael Jordan, but Steph Curry came along. 
Netflix. How many were alive during Blockbuster when you used to rent VCR tapes? Anybody that old? Exactly. And you remember, like, when you get overdue statement, like, oh, shoot, I forgot to drop it off by that date. Some of you, you may not know that, but there used to be a time you had to go to a store and look on the wall, and you, you pick a movie out. And if it would rent it out, you couldn't watch it. You had to wait till the person brought it back. It was horrible. And it was awesome when there was like four VHS tapes. Oh, yeah, there's one left. And then you go watch it at home, and then you have to bring it back to the store. It was like such a cultural thing. And then, then Netflix came along and said, you don't have to go to a store. We'll ship you the DVD in the mail. And everybody's like, oh, wow. I don't have to go to a store anymore. I get to pick, and it gets shipped to me, and I don't have to return it until I want to. That was disruptive. How many remember that moment? It's like, wow. And then Blockbuster stores begin to go out of business. And then Netflix pivoted again. They said, guess what? You don't have to even, we're not sending you anything. Just give us an amount every month, and you have access to it all. You see, an idea can come along and change the culture that you live within. Cryptocurrency, same thing. It's still in its somewhat infancy toddler stage, but it's trending to continue to disrupt how and you I transact any form of goods. You see, their idea, there are people that come along that change the culture that we live within. They set the tone for what the future looks like. The future is culture. And my challenge to us as people is to recognize, are we spending more time talking about the world we live in, or are we, trying, are we spending enough time deciding what world actually lives within us? As Christians, there's none other that we look to other than Jesus. There are other great men and women throughout human history that we can learn from and study and, and glean from. But if you want to go to the top of the pile, if you want to go to the premier example of who knows how to change culture, it's Jesus himself. Jesus stepped into the human story at potentially one of the most godless, anarchist times in human history. I mean, if you study the human story, Jesus could have chose to enter into the human story at so many different points. But he chose to come into a time in human history where the concept of God was lowercase God and plural. That was the norm. The norm was God. Everything's a God. And Jesus said, that's when I want to show up. So he comes into the human story as a baby. And we can read about him in the gospel, but we lose track of him around the age of 12. Then roughly around the age of 30, we pick up his story again. And all we know is that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature with favor with God and favor with men. But here's what's so fascinating to me is Jesus stepped in a time in human history called the Roman Empire. And right before Jesus stepped on the scene, the most famous Caesar of all is Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar was responsible for almost beginning and shaping the whole idea of Rome. Rome, as we know it, was birthed within the brains and the heart of a man named Julius Caesar. But he was assassinated. So the heir to the throne was an adopted son named Octavian. And Octavian took over the throne, and the Roman Senate said, we want you to change your name to Augustus. 
So he then became Caesar Augustus. Why did they change his name to Augustus? Because they wanted him to be an object of worship. The name Augustus put the attention on the idea like you are to be worshiped. In fact, theologians tell us today, so much worship was going towards Caesar Augustus, there's no time or energy to worship anything else. The entire culture was bent on worshiping this man named Caesar Augustus. Some of his titles that were given to him by his colleagues and by the Senate and by citizens were that he's the son of God. Because Julius Caesar, his father, when he died, they divinized him. They made him into a deity. They said Julius Caesar is a god. So if Octavian is the heir to the throne, then he's the son of God. And they went even further. They said Caesar Augustus is actually the bringer of good news and salvation to all of humanity. This is the same vernacular, same term that Luke uses in his gospel, saying Jesus is the Son of God. He's the bringer of good news, the gospel, and he's going to save all of humanity. So Jesus stepped in time in human history where those phrases, Son of God, the bringer of the truth of good news, the salvation for all of humanity, Jesus said, I want to step into the equation now. So as Jesus stepped into the equation, and all of a sudden he entered into a people group known as the Jews, the Israelites, and he became the Jew. And in that context, he understands that for 400 years, the Jewish people have been oppressed, suppressed, persecuted, and slavery for over 400 years. So by the time that Jesus comes, they have been waiting for what they called the Messiah. So imagine if you're alive and you've heard through the timeline of your family, there's someone coming. He's the Messiah. He's going to set us free. And you happen to be alive in the moment where the Messiah walked onto the scene. And you've been oppressed, you've been suppressed, you've been bonded, and you've been in slavery, and in this time with the Roman Empire. So what would you think if the Messiah came in your lifetime, what would you think? Oh, we're going to overthrow the Roman Empire. That's what we're doing now. Finally, we are now going to overthrow the oppressors by oppressing them. We're now heading to the throne of Rome. This is the idea behind the Jewish people looking at the Messiah. So Jesus, in the beginning of his story, he gets drug out into the drug. It's probably an exaggeration, but... He was led out into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. And the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And Jesus essentially does not give in to any temptation. He comes out the other side victorious of this 40 days and 40 nights of being tempted by the devil himself. And he comes out and he delivers what we call the best sermon ever given. And theologians and scholars call it the Sermon on the Mount. So with you, with, will you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? We're going to read some scripture together. Matthew chapter 5. And as you're turning there, I want you to understand, imagine the anticipation the Messiah is now going to make his acceptance speech. He is now, we're now at this political party convention, and he's about to announce his campaign to take over the Roman Empire. So imagine the excitement, the anticipation, the expectation on the words of Jesus the Messiah that's about to come out of his mouth. 
So let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you a question. When you've been oppressed for 400 and some, some odd years, is the first thing to hear about how to become free is being poor? No. The answer is no. You're thinking, where are the arms? Where's our army? And what's the way route to get to the, um, to the uh, palace? How do, we get, how do we do this thing? What's the timeline? Are we going to do a sneak attack? Are we going to do it in the middle of the night? Are we going to catch them off guard? And they're waiting for that strategy, and all they hear is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, Jesus, that's cute, that's nice, but let's move on to the strategy. So Jesus moved on. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is not the acceptance speech that you're expecting to hear. Let's keep reading. Blessed are the meek. Meek? What are you talking about, meek? We've been suppressed and in bondage for so long, and you want us to be poor and meek? For they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. Merciful? You want us to show them mercy? What is Jesus doing? He's revealing a different culture. There's a culture inside of him that does not resonate with the culture of the world. And it wasn't resonating with the people that were listening to him in this moment. Let's keep reading. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They'd be like, okay, I would like to see God. So, okay, pure in heart, I'll sign up for that one right there. But mercy... Mourning, meek, poor in spirit, I'll pass on those. But look at this from verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers. Making peace with the Roman Empire. That's not what you do when you want to take over. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted. They're like persecuted. We've been persecuted for centuries. And now you're saying we're blessed? Keep reading. Verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, people persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Are you following me at all tonight? This is not what you want to hear when you've been oppressed and in bondage for centuries. You want to hear the opposite of all of this. And Jesus said, man, you should be thankful. Because guess what? You're about to suffer more and about to be persecuted more. This does not sound like the party that I want to be a part of. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they're persecuted the prophets who are before you. Now scroll with me down to verse 38. We're going to read a couple verses here. The background on this passage right here, there was a law called the Law of Retaliation. If someone does something to you, guess what? You do it back. And Jesus takes the law of retaliation and he upends the entire foundation of thought and logic behind it. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the law of retaliation. But Jesus said, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Jesus is talking to a group of people that have been slapped around for centuries. He says, hey, give them the other side. 
And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Let's stop right there. It was actually written into the system of the Roman Empire. If a Roman soldier came up to you and he was tired and exhausted and wanted you to carry his pack, you had to legally carry it for up to one mile. You had to stop what you were doing. You had no choice. All your will was now behind this Roman soldier. So you had to stop your stuff, whatever business you're doing, put on the path and walk with the Roman soldier for about one mile. And Jesus, guess what? If that happened again, go two miles. Jesus is teaching them there is a different culture that we operate from. I'm not heading to the throne of Rome. I'm heading to a very different throne. And what I want to encourage us tonight is to recognize what kind of culture lives in you. When you step into environment, does the culture determine you? Are you able to determine the culture? This is one of the greatest challenges. We live in a moment right now that definitely makes this very opportune to find out what kind of culture actually lives inside of us. Tim Keller has this statement. He says, Christians are unique citizens in society because they are formed by the upside-down kingdom of God. They move out into the world as self-sacrificers rather than self-actualizers. Develop a culture within you to develop a culture outside of you. The kingdom is an inside-out motion. The world is an outside-in motion. Let me put it this way. In a world system, in world thought, if I only had enough money, I could do this. If these circumstances stop, then it would help me by this. It's all about changing your external reality to make your internal reality what you want it to be. That is the logic of a world system. The logic of a kingdom system or kingdom thought is, no, it's an inside-out motion. I will choose to be generous when I don't ever want to be generous. I will choose to have compassion when everything around me said, hold your compassion. I will choose to be empathetic when everything out here said, don't give your empathy to this. It's the opposite of the system that you live within. It is recognizing the culture in you is what affects the culture outside of you. It's an inside-out motion. Last week, I preached probably one of the most hardest, complex messages I've ever given in my life in the face of incredible loss, of losing my mother way too early. The last year of her life was horrific because she had battled cancer and she fought well. But to stand on this stage and say, God is good, and to say, you know what? We're going to get through this and begin to talk about something that's complex and hard. Why? Because the culture's in here, and it's coming out in the middle of a hard season of loss. This is when you know you have culture, is that nothing out here changes what's in here. And sometimes we don't get into situations to find out what's actually in here. We've so insulated our lives from conflict, from tragedy, because we can't handle it for whatever reason. And we never find out, do we actually have the culture in us? Like, oh yeah, I'm so generous. But there's never a time for sacrifice. 
because you're never in a position to find out are you generous when it requires sacrifice? Are you compassionate when everything says don't be compassionate? Are you kind when the world is mean? You have to put yourself, rub your shoulders with situation to find out what kind of culture is actually in you. And I'm afraid some of us insulate our lives a little too much and we don't even know how deep the culture goes. Guess what? Stop insulating yourself and find out. Find out if you can be meek when the Roman Empire is breathing down your neck. Find out if you can handle persecution because of what you believe in by getting around people that think very differently than you. Find out, do you know how to be poor in spirit? Do you know how to actually become so humble in your pursuit of God that no matter what it costs, it's true. This is the challenge that we have. We have the opportunity and the luxury to insulate our lives, to never know how deep culture actually goes. So if you want to find out what kind of culture you have, man, start rubbing your shoulders with some problems, with some pain, with some issues, with stuff the city's trying to figure out how to navigate, with these conversations around political stuff or around social stuff. Like, get close, get in proximity to these and find out, wow, this thing is actually affecting me instead of the culture in me, it's actually shaping it. Are we good at telling everyone it's 71 degrees, or are we able to determine the temperature it should be? Are you guys with me tonight? Culture, the future is culture. There's so many beautiful stories in the Bible about how Jesus would step into these situations and he would introduce a completely different way of doing something. The stories are endless. My favorite, one of my favorite stories is when Jesus is confronted with a woman that just committed adultery. And he's actually teaching in the temple. He's in a sacred space. And he's teaching out of the Torah. And as he's teaching, the religious leaders catch a woman in adultery, which raises so many questions for me. What were you doing there? And where's the guy? But that's a whole different conversation. So they bring this woman into this middle of Jesus teaching in a sacred space. And they said, Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. The Bible, the law says we should stone anyone that's been caught in adultery. So in fact, she and the man should be stoned together because that was actually the written law. And so they asked Jesus this question. They said, what do you say? And Jesus does something that took me years to recognize how crucial this moment was. Instead of answering the question, when Jesus was famous, he was so good at avoiding the question, all for a purpose of getting you to rethink about yourself. Have you ever talked to God and he doesn't talk to you back? Maybe because he wants you to actually reflect a little bit on what's going on here. But in this moment, Jesus gets down on the ground and he begins to draw on the ground. And it's just this random verse in the middle of a conversation, and Jesus is down on the ground, and then the next verse, they continue to pester him. When you look at the actual original language, they asked him over and over and over and over the same question. Jesus, what do we do? Do we stone her or not stone her? Hey, Jesus, are you listening to me right now? Do we stone this woman or not stone her? They kept asking him the question, and he kept drawing on the ground. Beautiful.
beautiful moment. And then he gets up and he said, okay, let's do this. If none of you have sinned, go ahead and throw the first stone. Then he goes back to the ground. The next verse, the next moment, the oldest guy there leaves. I've always wondered, why did the oldest guy leave? Because when older you get, the more you begin to realize you don't have all your stuff together. You're just like, I just want to make it. Just want to make it to the end in one piece. And the older you get, that, is that not true? You're like, man, I just want to make it to the end in love with Jesus, in love with my wife, and in love with my kids, and a heart of compassion. I just want to get to that point. Because the older you get, the more you begin to realize you don't have it all together. And you're honest and you're humble about it. So the older guy's like, peace out, I'm gone. This is not my scene. He leaves. And little by little, all the way down to the youngest guy, of course it's the youngest guy, and it's always the guy in their 20s. Because people in their 20s have life figured out. And that they've not experienced life yet. And so Jesus says that statement, they all disperse. And Jesus looks up, because he was drawing something, and he looked up, and he looked at the woman and said, where have all your accusers gone? And she said, there are none. And he says, I don't accuse you. The only one that had the right to stone her was Jesus himself. But let me back up here. Why did Jesus kneel on the ground? He was disrupting a moment that was heading towards stoning a woman. That was a normal cultural moment. This was normal. You know that everybody that was watching this was expecting her to get stoned. Why? Because everyone's seen it before. This was a normal cultural custom. You stone people that have committed adultery. So if that happened here and that was normal, all of you would be like, yep, she deserved it. It's written in the law. And let's just watch her get stoned. They'll haul her off. And we'll get back to the teaching. That would be kind of the norm. So Jesus knew he had to disrupt something by revealing the culture that's in him. And the idea that came to his mind in this moment was, I'm going to get down on the ground. And I'm going to draw on the ground. And that's just going to make everybody lose their mind. It got the attention off of the woman and got it on him. This is what Jesus does. He takes the attention off of your life and puts it back on him. And in doing that, he was able to protect a woman from getting stoned and to tell her not to sin anymore and release forgiveness on her life. This is what happens when the culture in you is stronger than the culture outside of you. You're able to disrupt the world you live in. So we may live in a chaotic, confusing time in America right now, but instead of telling everyone it's chaos and confusion, why don't we find out what culture lives in us? And if it's not in there, then let's build that culture. So who do we have helped build that culture? Jesus himself. We ask Jesus, Jesus, what do you do in these situations? Isn't it fascinating to you that the scriptures are still relevant to humanity thousands of years later, and it matters to every worldview, every culture, every background, the scripture is relevant to every human being that's ever been alive. No book stays relevant in that multidimensional way. Because it's written about a God who has no end. It's infinite. The truths in there are infinite. So we are discipled by Jesus to build a culture within us. So let's ask the question, how do you build culture in you? 
How do you actually build it? First step is define what it is you want. Or let Jesus say, I want this culture in you. I want you to have a heart of compassion when the world says, don't. I want you to have a heart of generosity when the world says, protect and keep. I want you to have a heart of empathy for someone that deserves punishment when the world says they deserve punishment, but you choose to live within the culture Jesus operated in. So define, you have to have an idea of what it is you want. And then guess what? You start emulating it. Tell you what, being generous, I know we keep bringing this up, it had nothing to do with money and had everything to do with money. Why? Because money is one of the things in the American Western context that we are so in love with. It's the very thing that if you are willing to be generous within, it's not the amount, it's the ability to not hold on to it and worship it. It's the idea of protecting and keeping instead of, I am choosing to go on an adventure in my generosity. It's a choice. And when we begin to do that, all of a sudden we're perpetuating a culture of the kingdom because we're not just holding it on for ourselves. We're actually here to serve humanity and to see a culture change and reflect the culture that's inside of us. So emulate it. Stephen shared a great story. He said, yeah, we gave money when we barely had any. It costs something. Like, it has to cost you something. How do you have empathy towards someone that you can't stand? I know nobody in this room doesn't have anybody in life that you can't stand. I'm talking about a bunch of other people. But how do you have compassion on someone that actually deserves what's happening in their life? How do we help someone that actually brought it on themselves and start emulating that? Because Jesus was the only one that could say, nobody deserves anything I have to give them because they all deserve it. But Jesus demonstrates a way that we live from the culture within. So you define it, then you emulate it, and then you see if it works. That's the most important one. And if it doesn't work, then guess what? Go back to the first step. So this is why myself can stand up here in the face of great loss. Why? Because we've had a lot of practice for the last 20, 30 years. We've had a lot of practice in the last 20, 30 years going after signs and wonders and miracles in the face of some of the greatest loss that anyone can bear. And I'm not alone. I'm speak on behalf of a lot of people and obviously some of you in this room because we kept at it. We just kept at it, said, this doesn't make any sense but we're going to keep at it. You define it, you emulate it, and then you see if it works. Can you stand in the face of a culture and let the culture in you be the one that shapes a culture outside of you? Thanks for listening, and we hope this talk benefits you in every way possible. For more information about Studio, you can go to studiogreenville.com or go to Instagram and look for studio.greenville. We would also love it if you would leave a review and hit those five stars. Other than that, have a great week and we'll see you soon.